Hello and welcome to another episode of the Richards Report. I'm Ted Richards. Yes, after a long time in between episodes, the show is back. 2021 has been a busy year in many ways. I had to dial back my time on this podcast for a while, so apologies for that. But it's good to be back. So much to discuss. Where to begin? Well, in a previous episode, I spoke about how I and the show was supporting the Fred Hollows Foundation with Fred's big run-on this year in 2021. Well, an update on that. Thank you to all those that donated. We ended up raising $5,000, which is awesome. I'm incredibly grateful, and those funds will go a long way. The fact that with just $25, the Fred Hollows Foundation can cure someone from being needlessly blind means that these funds, well, they'll be able to go on and cure another 200 more people from around the world that are currently needlessly blind, which is fantastic for what it means for just one person, let alone 200. Okay, and part of the reason why I needed to take a break is that I've been working on another podcast that you may not be aware of. So if you've been enjoying this show over the years and, and hungry for more investing podcasts, then make sure you check out check it out. It's called the Invest It Best Podcast. And on the show, I speak with investing experts from both within and outside Wilson's. I've done around nine episodes so far, so make sure you subscribe and check that out. It's called the Invest It Best Podcast. The most recent episode, I spoke with some of my colleagues from within Wilson's and we did a, a review of 2021 and we heard their outlook for the year ahead. It's been one of the most popular episodes so far, so check that out if it sounds like it may be of interest. On to this episode. I'm speaking with Job Watson, a man that needs no introduction, and regular listeners will recall that he actually came on the show many years ago. Job is a buyer's advocate, so we chat about the Australian property market and what's been happening there uh, the last few years. We also cover cryptocurrencies, which Job was very early on uh, beating that drum. We talk about his cafes in New York and then get a bit of latest on that. And a new business venture that he's been working on and that he's since launched. Now, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but if you are interested in trying this new product out, make sure you use the discount code Richards Report to get a 20% discount on your order. So uh, see episode show notes within the Spotify or Apple podcast apps where you're probably listening to the show right now for further info on that discount code and the necessary website links. Okay, before we get into it, as always, the usual disclosures. This podcast is just for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not qualify as personal advice. If we discuss investing, it's just general in nature. People may hold positions in the companies discussed and opinions expressed on the show by me or by my guest does not represent that of my employer. Okay, it's great to be back. With no further ado, here's my chat with friend of the show, entrepreneur, two-time Richards Report guest, Job Watson. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. Job, welcome back to the Richards Report. Thanks for having me, Teddy. I'm excited to be uh, back 
in your presence. Yep, goes without saying. Not many return guests on the show as yet. Friend of the show, Pat Garrett, has been on quite a few times. Shout out to Pat. Friend of the show, Scott Galloway. He has also been on a few times. Shout out to Scott, who is a um, big fan of the show. Now, Job, when do you when do you think we last spoke on the show? Any idea? Uh, I think maybe, was it 2018 at some point? Yes, you are. Uh, February 2018, almost four years ago. A bit has happened. I've had two kids. You've had two kids. Not here to talk about kids. <laughs> Put people to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyone different. wants to listen to me complain, we can talk about kids. Yeah. Uh, I just thought I'd call that out because a lot's happened. All right, where to begin? Uh, let's start off by reflecting on some of the topics we discussed on last time. So, as I did a bit of research, uh, we discussed one uh, your cafes in New York, what you were doing over there, and then subsequent passion for coffee. We discussed cryptocurrencies, in particular Bitcoin, and the other. Uh, topic we discussed was what's what was going on in the property market back then as you know, a buyer's advocate. Those three buckets were very interesting topics four years ago, and I, but I, f- I feel like they're all possibly even more interesting now. Like you know, cafes, be it in Australia or New York, they're reopening, so they've got a lot going on there. Crypto keeps roaring to all-time new highs, and um, yeah, you, you put property market in that bucket too, and yeah, with what's going on there. So what I might do for this episode is we we use a similar model to the first episode and get an update on what's been going on in all those three areas. So I don't want it to sound like I haven't actually prepared for this as, as I have, but... You're doing a very good job of pretending like you haven't prepared. <laughs> it's hard to press copy-paste. Um, let's start off with that framework and see where it takes us. So um, actually, before I do, something new that you are doing that you weren't doing four years ago, and that is... Special comments on AFL games, Mr. Thursday Night Football. Tell us a bit about that and how you found it. Yeah, uh, well, it's uh, been doing it for a couple of years. And with the um, emergence of Thursday Night Footy, uh, it's worked with the, the schedule of um, you know working on weekends with, involved in property. So the Thursday night was a nice fit. And um, I've enjoyed doing the, the special comments and, and having some association still with footy um and it's been very interesting to see that um not just the special comments but the the production of live sport and how it's evolved particularly over the last two years yeah let's talk about that so you started doing thursday night football pre-covid yeah uh pre-covid uh, I did a couple of the grand, uh, finals at the end of 2019, yep. which we flew up to Brisbane two weeks in a row um, to do to cover, and then um, I didn't start the special comments until yeah 20, uh, 2020. Okay, and so for those not aware, what changed over that twelve month period in terms of calling games? So the most significant change was when they shut down borders and you couldn't travel uh, as a commentator. So. Uh, we would post COVID and during COVID in 2020 and 2021, we would be calling games from a studio uh, in Melbourne and um, and doing everything via TV screens. So the the commentators and and even in a couple of occasions, um, Bruce McAvaney, who's based in South Australia, was calling on one screen in South Australia. Brian Taylor was calling off another screen in the studio with us in Victoria and then we'd have Luke Hodge on the boundary line in 
Brisbane. And over time, you kind of worked that out. How were the early days of, of this kind of piecemeal approach? Well, it was it was difficult, I think, uh, for everyone to get an idea of how to coordinate it all. But uh, yeah, Pretty much like all officers, you know, they had to kind of go to this hybrid model. Yeah. That's right. And, and as a special commentator, you're used to seeing the whole ground and seeing things evolve uh, before they actually do because you can look down and, and see what's about to happen or how someone got free and... Um, and that, so that changed as you were watching more just the screen as what the viewer was watching at home. So um, that that was an adjustment. Um, but I think that the the transition has been um, it's evolved, but it's become quite seamless. Whereas people would be would see me in the street and be surprised that I was in Melbourne after watching a game the night before. Yeah, <laughs> in Sydney. My, my favourite bit from this is when Luke Darcy uh, got caught calling a replay, which he didn't realise was actually, you know, had happened before. <laughs> Somehow he mustn't have realised that he just called that play. But, um, yeah, it certainly presents challenges. So, uh, But I understand now that we're, don't jinx us, but now that we're possibly through this and the next season will be relatively normal, will Channel 7 continue with this, do you think, or they'll revert back to um, what it was pre-COVID? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. I'm not sure whether the, the production and the networks have worked out what they will do. But certainly, if you were looking at it from a um, budget sense, yeah, um, the, the cost of sending crews and, and teams into interstate... Um, well, I know you don't like flying economy. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, alone, let alone the effort. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so I think uh, it, it will be interesting to see what um, they end up landing on because uh, there is, um, you saw with the Channel 7 share price, for example, of where it was in at the start of 2020 to where it finished at the end of 2020. I think it was around $0.07 cents and finished at around $0.50 cents okay. after everything. So they, were, they found out very quickly that they were able to do something that perhaps they'd never really entertained before. Mm. All right, let's um, let's move across to your cafes in the US, which we spoke about um, at great length in the last episode. Make sure you check that out if you if you didn't. <laughs> but it's been a bit old now; it's <laughs> four years old. But um, I believe that we should talk about your cafes in the US uh, from a plural point of view, because you, I understand you've got multiple over there. So, um, if you could give us some insight into what it's like to have not just a hospitality business in the US, but hospitality, you know, business through COVID and what it's like with the reopening over there. Yeah, so I, we're based in, in New York and if you think back to how COVID unfolded... Sorry, for, I should say, um, unlike many podcasts, we're not recording this remotely. We're both in Melbourne. Yes. So you, 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 you're, yeah. you're not in New York right now. So uh, uh, I just, I, I chat with a lot of people Um Remotely, you know, via via different, you know, Zoom, whatever. This is not that time. <laughs> okay. As as awkward as it's sounding as we're interacting, Ted, we're actually sitting yes. across the table from each other. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's poor segue. Anyway, back to you. Um, so New York was was hit first, really, in the in the US. If you think back to yep. how it unfolded, and so COVID shut down um, in that winter. You know, March really was the the complete shutting down um, of New York City, and and that lasted um, really until you know May, um, as the weather started to turn, was 
wasn't until they started to get some reopening. So from that sense, we were completely shut um, almost overnight uh, and, um, you know, had to stand down staff. Uh, I had to you know, reduce all the costs and, and then there was the negotiating with, you know, landlords and things like that. Um, fortunately, you know, we were able to, to, to work through it and then the, the government stimulus, um, you know, packages were announced and, and, and put through. So um, there were different, different periods that were largely, you know, around the winter and the colder months where um, things were difficult and then when the weather turned and summer came, then you were able to reopen, albeit slowly. Um, we'd done a, a small capital raise um, in December 19. Um, so we Good had, timing. Yeah, we had fortuitously had some funds um, and, and we were able to, um, you know, acquire some leases of places that um, closed during... Um, the, the COVID periods uh, and um, took over sites that uh, we probably wouldn't have been able to afford had times been normal and rents been normalised. So we've actually been able to expand um, through through this period and and um, to to the point now where we're we're looking at um, other other cities to, to open cafes in, um, namely Atlanta us- and um, why Atlanta. It's an interesting um, spot uh, down there, um, and there's been a, the the city of um, Atlanta has sort of shown similar types of growth to places like Memphis, Austin, um, previously, and um, we feel like that it's a nice um, spot to be in for the kind of demographic of people who are moving there. Oh, interesting. Now, um, uh, I was in Sydney last week for work. Um, you know, having a look at the Sydney CBD, the Melbourne CBD, they're just a fraction of what they, they once were pre-COVID. Some of your cafes, you know, they're in Midtown New York, downtown Brooklyn. How are they going? Is Are you seeing like New York a fraction of what it once was or has it bounced back quite quickly? No, it ha- it's, it's bounced back quite quickly. Um, people are returning to the city um, who, who had fled um, previously, the, the international view, uh, you know, travel and things like that is still down on, yep. on what it once was. But there is still this migration back to to the cities, um, and, and particularly New York. So, from a um, I guess turnover perspective, we we found that um, it's bounced back relatively quickly. The other interesting thing that I'm I'm kind of seeing is as we're seeing this kind of bounce back, not everything's moving as quickly some things are quite, uh, uh, slower and that is one is labor getting the labor especially um, due to price increases in, in wages and, and the like so um, anything that you can provide on how you've fa- found you know sourcing sourcing staff relatively quick for this pent-up demand that's been there yeah it's been really difficult one of the, the big challenges has been um, I suppose with, with what happened with stimulus is you gave people money for no productivity, um, as was the need at the time. Um, but that has meant that um, I think the, the expectations and you read the, the labour market and things like that, where there's a lot of people who have left the workforce um, and getting them back into it has meant that it's difficult with um, to, to get the... the the staffing um, requirements and, and that's sort of a challenge that we've been facing and traditionally wages in the US are, are lower than what they are here um, and uh, it's been a challenge to try and attract 
staff back to to the workforce and, and that's been one of the the problems i think as as the reopening is found is that um you know people have become a little bit more flexible on the their lifestyle and, and how they want to work um as as opposed to what they were used to all right uh now on the topic of coffee um uh, you know aussies have become famous for our quality flat white coffees you know over overseas in the in the states um friend of the show nick stone he's been on before talking about what he's been up to with bluestone lane over there um you too have um had some success with the uh these espresso coffees now joe you're taking a bit of a different tact with your next business venture talk to me what you've been up to recently in the coffee space yeah, it was it probably came about about two and a half years ago, chatting away with a couple of friends about um, you know my love of coffee and um, and just the the style of drinking and um, and I guess how important that ritual of of sitting down and having a, a good coffee was. Um, and we thought about uh, you know is there any gaps in the in the in the coffee market? Um, and we we landed on instant coffee. Uh, and we, we looked at, you know, there's a there's a negative, I think, connotation here in Australia about instant coffee. Um, and was that is that just because of the, um, the products that are available uh, or have we become so used to um, going out for and, and that lifestyle component that we don't drink a lot at home? Um, so we, we sort of decided to in, investigate um, a bit more and... And we did the investigating. So before you uh, just go, I just, now for a word from our sponsor, Nescafe. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Nescafe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I interrupted. Um, uh, keep going, keep going. No, so we, we, we sort of did some investigating into, you know, uh, the instant coffee that's made and brewed in Australia is dried multiple times and um chemically dried as well um and and i think that you know it has a certain smell to it and 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 flavor and then it's it's opened and it stays open it's in a jar um and so you lose some of that that freshness of it um so we we did some investigating which led us actually to uh to germany um and uh they, they they were producing a product that um, is freeze dried um, arabica beans that are sourced from South America um, and then freeze dried there um, and so we did a lot of t- tasting and trialing and um, landed on a, a blend and um, sort of went about the process of, of creating a, a brand um, and and a product so to speak give it a shout out what, what's what's, so what's the brand uh, called what do, you, what do you settle on because it's it's one thing to come up with a business idea. It's one thing to come up with a great product. Something a lot of founders that I speak with say something that what may seem small actually takes up a lot of time is coming up with a name. So what, what do you call it? So we, ended up, we landed on Morning Joe. Yep. Um, and it was derived from a, uh, the American expression of a cup of Joe, which was a cup yep. of coffee. Um, why, why is that? I've always not won- sure where they came from. Yeah, uh, I think it was uh, something to do with the uh, in the military. Um, that's where the the name uh, derived from. Whether yep. it was World War One or, um, but that was uh, the research that I did. There was um, a link to it being uh, from a military name. Yeah, seems um, like the research was a bit shallow. <laughs> <laughs> no, notice I didn't. I didn't qualify how much research could have been a world war. <laughs> 
Americans and military and yep. war. <laughs> so we landed on uh, Morning Joe, yep. and uh, the the whole idea of it was to to um, you know create better mornings, um, create a sustainable product, um, have a, a coffee that was um, that smelt better, that taste that we thought tasted better, uh, that was sustainable. Um, so we wanted. Uh, this freeze-dried coffee from from Germany um, that we we bought over, uh, we shipped over, uh, and we did the research on trying to find sustainable packaging, so that packaging that was completely compostable because we wanted the coffee to be served in uh, fresh individual sachets um, to keep that that freshness um, there. And uh, eventually, even through lockdown and, and COVID, we were able to, to come up with a brand and, and um, have just started uh, the, I guess, to markets phase of it. Well, throughout COVID, um, my wife and I, we, we bought a, a good quality you know, coffee machine. The problem with good co- quality coffee machines is the person who's making it <laughs> isn't up to the, the standard of the machine. What are you saying about my wife? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, it's a good point. It's a good point, but uh, I've kind of become accustomed to what I make, so I, and it's just for me. But uh, anyway, where I was going with this is I've become used to making that way, but went camping recently with mates and still have that expectation of you know having starting the day with a good quality quality coffee. So I, I took some of yours. It's good. Now, how do you, how do you serve it? If someone wanted to give it a go, like I, I'd actually don't mind my coffee black. So it's yep. quite it's quite easy. You know, you just pour the water in. Is there anything else to this if people want to have a milkier coffee? No, they can. At, at the moment, we're just offering the, the black uh, black coffee, um, but you can add milk to it. Serving size is around uh, 280 ml. This is about what you want for a sachet, a three-gram sachet of uh, coffee. And the idea is that you, you can take it anywhere with you. Um, and it, it's... It, it might not be, uh, you know, you still understand that people like to go out and get a coffee from a, a barista, a barista-made coffee, but um, that second coffee of the day might not be um, something that you're willing or, or necessarily yeah. want to be spending that extra money on. Um, and also, I think that we, we're producing a product that um, is good quality drinking coffee um, yeah. to be taken anywhere quite interesting i was reading the other day i think the price of coffee over the relatively maybe the last six or seven years has kind of doubled due to one i think this increased demand but secondly i think you know a lot of the part regions of the world that produce the beans like with the likes of brazil etc have had bad cold winters which have affected the bean supply um so um yes i wouldn't be surprised if the price of a good quality you know barista made coffee actually increases um now you mentioned that you're getting the beans sent over from germany um i recently had to wait like three months for a piece of furniture for ikea which i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now but where i'm going with this is supply chain issues are affecting everyone every business has have you been impacted by this at all if because you know you've, you've got beans kind of what it seems like moving all around the world yeah, well, we wanted to, with the sustainability ethos, we, we were conscious of, of, you know, shipping rather than, you know, necessarily flying the beans over, which would have been a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, and and so we, in these early stages of, of launching the business and creating it, we were prepared to wait um, yeah. for, for it to be shipped from Germany. But even even now, I think you're seeing this backlog of um, supply chains. Um, so that's going to be something that I think all 
people who are importing goods, uh, the problems at the moment that they're facing? Yeah, I think Peloton, uh, with the, these bikes that they're you know, flogging for X thousands of dollars, have given up on shipping because it's just so been so unreliable, and they're just flying the flying the bikes around the world and just taking the hit. Yep. on the on the um, transport cost. Now, um, all right, you got a deal for the listeners or something? Yeah, we've got okay. a, a Richard Report deal. Yeah. Uh, you made sure that I was um, going to give something else, so I think eighty percent off. Yeah. We'll get, 90%. We, we settled on 20%. 20%, that's, anyone, good. that's a good deal. Whoever use, who would like to use the Richards Report code. Um, what we'll is the Richards Report code? We'll, we'll, we'll create one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Morning Joe code, you type okay. in the Richards well, Report. Now, you've got a lot going on, hospitality in the coffee scene. I actually can't think of how to segue from coffees to crypto and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So let's just pretend that this was a smooth transition. Okay. Smooth as a coffee. <laughs> Okay, Bitcoin. I'm just going to kick things off here and talk about our chat last time. Yep. Uh, four years ago. I don't think on that episode, I think I said anything negative, like anything that was actually negative about Bitcoin on air. But but I will confess that deep down, I think when you were chatting, I was like, mate. Your body language was saying <laughs> everything that you were, that mate, your mouth wasn't. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure I was like, what's... I don't. I, re- I think it's going to end badly. I really think it's going to. So you thought I was Jack in the Beach still coming, <laughs> oh, yeah. leaving house with a cow coming home with magic beans. <laughs> don't tell me more about your crypto beans. <laughs> now, I, I don't have a crypto ball, a cri- cri- crypto ball, a crystal ball, <laughs> and I'm certainly not all in on Bitcoin like you know some hodlers. But it's fair to say I have changed my view from where I was four years ago. Um, so I do. Just want to start this topic off by a bit of a tip of the cap to you mm-hmm. for uh, for being quite early on this call because um, you know you were beating this drum you know five six years ago. Uh, where to kick things off? You're still holding on. I am. You're still holding on. Good yeah. on. Good for you. All right. Bitcoin bears might point to May of this year where I think it dropped about forty percent in a matter of weeks, but. Um, yeah, it comes with volatility, but uh, so do equities. So, um, and you know, and equities aren't you know exactly a stable, low-risk asset class. So they both provide their um, returns for their certain amount of risk. But um, where will I take it from here? I guess probably anything else has, cha- has anything else changed in your thesis over the last four years from um, identifying an opportunity and 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 kind of going in on that. I th- I think that. You're right in in terms of the the volatility is still there and it's still extreme. Uh, I think the the thinking of the larger public now, though, is that there's volatility with everything. Um, I think that that's unfortunately the the, the world that we're, we're living in now is there's an expectation of volatility, um, and people are being drawn to to the crypto world. Um, because of one the, the extreme gains that can be um, made two I think that there's a breakdown in the traditional monetary methods of assist the, the system that we're currently in um, and then the evolution and the continual evolution of um, e-commerce and um, the the internet um, I think that the the biggest opportunity, moving forward for the crypto world is in crypto gamification um, and how crypto will um, amalgamate itself with uh, gaming. 
Um, and I think that the, the like I would encourage anyone who who's interested in what it might look like is to to watch the the film the Steven Spielberg film Ready Player One, because that to me is what the world will look like um, in maybe fifteen twenty. Actually, here that's quite a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is a really good movie. I think I saw the preview and I was like, that looks like a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw Steven Spielberg with director and I was like, what's he doing that crap for? <laughs> He's going for the catch crap. <laughs> Hard times, Steven. Hard times. Well, yeah. I, I, th- I think, like, you know, who knows where we're going to be in four years, but I think you're right about the volatility, you know, meme stocks. This, this day-to-day volatility, mm. whilst not everyone's got an appetite for that, many are happy to rush in. Yeah. And um, I think it's almost a $3 trillion market now, the uh, crypto space. Yeah. You can ask 100 people where it's going to be in, a, in four years' time. You know, um, we had this chat four years ago. You'll probably get 100 different opinions. So certainly an interesting topic, but I just wanted to make sure that as, as tempted as I was just to kind of gloss over it and pretend that it... You're on the right side of history. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right of history. And it's my podcast, so I get to kind of choose the narrative. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to call that out. And um, okay, um, I think I've acknowledged that. So let's move on to property. How are we going for the timestamp? Yep, good. All right, let's go back a few years, pre-COVID. We've spoken about this a bit. I think, let's call it February 2020, March 2020, COVID hits. It was around then in Australia, maybe a little bit later, the, econ- the Australian economy comes to pretty much a stop. Um, banks pick up on this financial stress relatively quickly. So they all, you know, the, the big four Aussie banks come together and unite to come, to come to the party and offer people a six-month period where they don't have to pay principal back on their loans for a period of time. And I, rem- I remember this time. And I can remember thinking... Well, in six months from now, there is going to be this huge cliff where all of these people with growing bad debts that they can't pay are going to bring houses to the market and there'll be a huge drop-off in property. And I, and I still maintain that thesis was quite sound. But not only did that not happen, the opposite happened. Mm. Once again, I'm not trying to call out a, a mistake of mine, but... It's, it's interesting. You sort of wonder how many times you're going to be wrong before you do it. <laughs> Give away giving a providing a financial advice podcast. <laughs> well, so where I want to kind of go with it here is, what was it like working in the industry every day? How quickly did sentiment change from being concerned about a potential crash to this fear of missing out? Was it over days, months, however long? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that there is a correlation between the human human psyche um, currently, who are used to instant gratification. Everything in our life is about instant gratification now, um, and I I think it's starting to creep into property um, as well. And you're seeing so much more volatility in property. Um, prices going up, prices going down. Um, much like, are they going down? Well, there's been there's been uh, rises and then there's been flattening spots and they're they're closer together than than what they used to be. So in 2017, which was the last peak, for example, um, we were then uh, met with a a really soft period after that from 2017 through to 
uh, uh, really post federal election in 2019, so May 2019, start the sentiment started to change again. Especially with that election, was an was a surprise outcome. Yeah, yeah. and and you had the negatively negative gearing yeah, that was being yeah. thrown out uh, by Labor and, and obviously the, the coalition won and, and decided against it. But then then the markets ch- changed um, and as we were approaching the end of 2019, we were going into a, a strong market again, um, which was really only 18 months after being off a last peak and then dropping and then going back up again. Now, what tends to happen is you don't see the prices... Um, reported as going up and down too much but if you're working in it all the time you see the softness more so you you understand that between that may 17 period and um, may 2019 there are really good buying opportunities um there was less stock but there was less competition for the prices um then really what happened is the the whole world collapsed I guess in March, February 2020. What we saw from a property sense then was people who had bought in January or the start of Feb when things weren't too bad were then trying to liquidate in the middle of catastrophe. Um, And that's when there were real bargains to be had. Uh, But it only lasted about, you know, six weeks. It really was that short a period of time. And considering a sales campaign for a house is five or six weeks, it just came down to luck. It like, did. It was just fortuitous timing. If you're yeah. looking at the right time, and you were looking at a house that someone had bought six, you know, a month ago, six weeks ago, pre the COVID uh, fear that had arrived, then you were dealing with a really distressed seller or the illusion of a distressed seller. Um, the banks came, stepped in, um, froze uh, mortgages. People took it up. Um, the stimulus. Uh, was pumped into the system. Um, JobKeeper uh, rates were were dropped, um, and we saw this, uh, I guess, pot of money that was being accumulated by people with cheap um, debt and nowhere to spend that money, um, and being stuck at home, and it just exploded into the property prices. Yeah, well. Personally, you know, our household balance sheet, you know, there's a reason why we went out and bought a coffee machine because, yeah. Yep. I'm just interested, what are you seeing in the market right now? Um, you are based in, in Melbourne, so this has probably got a bit more of a Melbourne-Victorian lens on it. Um, has the market still got steam to go, you reckon? Uh, I think it's got a, a little bit. It needs to flatten. It needs to um, return to a more moderate um, growth. Uh, for this to be sustainable and for, for it not to create, I think, concern. Um, we're seeing more supply than uh, traditionally what you would at this time of year because um, there was no supply being uh, in the marketplace in August and September in Victoria. Um, so there is more supply. The strongest market, I would say, is the 5 million plus market. That seems to be the, the strongest market at the moment. Um and the appetite for buyers in um, blue chip suburbs um, in that price point is extremely strong. Yeah. Um, I think that what you would hope is for a more balanced market um, and and steadier growth so that we're not causing um, affordability concerns. Now, uh, a previous guest on the show, Lindsay Tanner, former Minister of Finance for the Australian Government, I remember a line, a line that he used once on the show, and that was... Immigration is the fuel that lubricates the Australian economy. 
not sure if it's a fuel that lubricates or any of the, the, the oil, whatever the metaphor was. Uh, apologies, Lindsay, for... Um, Misquoting. Um, yeah, for, but um, immigration's pretty much been turned off. Yep. Apart from some expats that have moved back. Probably won't take too long um, for that to come back on. Do you see this as potentially being a catalyst for the, the real estate market? Well, it's been... The, certainly the rental market, particularly in Victoria, has been um, really, really uh, depressed because of the, uh, one, the, the students who um, who come and study uh, here in Victoria, Melbourne, and and, um, and then the, the sea change um, of people who have been uh, moving out of the city. Um, but I, I expect that the... Um, so that sea change, tree change... It's material, like it, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. It definitely is material. Definitely is material. If you, it, we 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 have a, a an advocate who works in central Victoria, um, and the speed of which property transacts and the demand uh, for properties in that area, um, and then also on the peninsula. I mean, the peninsula is as, as when you talk about um, that five million plus market that. Um, extends to the that that peninsula region where a lot of the properties are transacting above that range yeah so for for, for those not in victoria the mornings peninsula is a part of part of melbourne where you know some very lucky people have, can have like a little winery or you know a little hobby farm yep um relatively close to the city it's probably i think the the equivalent of that in sydney would be barrel or something like that okay well that's been fascinating on so many levels, be you know what's going on with the Australian property market, but you know what's been going on uh, for yourself overseas with uh, hospitality and your coffee, and also just uh, reflecting on uh, crypto four years ago. And <laughs> who knows? We'll, we'll do this. We'll do another chat again at some stage. Um, but let's wrap it up there, Joe. As always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for giving up your time. Make sure you give Morning Joe a try. Morning, Joe. It's on Instagram too. I give it a follow. Yes. And check out the show notes where I'll have a, um, a discount code to get uh, 80% off. Yeah, I think we talked. We landed at 20. Okay. Um, it's good to be back with the Richards Report. Check out the other podcasts that I'm up to, uh, that I've been working on, Invest at Best, if you're interested in the other show. My name is Ted Richards, and see you next time on the Richards Report. <laughs>